Hope you brought a Bible. It's time to get it um, and uh, open it up to John chapter 15. We'll read from it in just a moment. I have two quick things to tell you. Um, uh, it's been quite a week for me, but I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has had quite a week. Mine's not any worse than some of yours, but uh, just a, for a quick update for so many of you have asked, uh, my wife spent four days in the hospital this week. She got out Friday night about five o'clock. Um, she developed an infection, uh, a staph infection that settled in her elbow, uh, that would brought on cellulitis, uh, had to be operated on, on Thursday, Wednesday, I forget, um, and is now undergoing a, uh, post hospital, uh, infectious disease control, uh, for 10 straight days. So at eight o'clock this morning, I was in a hospital. I mean, I was in a doctor's office having my wife with an infusion, they call it of antibiotics. Uh, so she, we think is on the up, uh, uh, swing, we hope. And, uh, we certainly hope there's no more setbacks with that infection. And you, we would love for you to pray to that end. Um, the other thing is this guys, um, this week is a busy week too. It's called Holy Week. It's a, it's a wonderful week. It's, um, that thing that Jimmy mentioned and Scott mentioned, I'm mentioning it too. It's Thursday night. Um, it's a, it's a time that where the, where the Christian church can exhale. Um, because we can come and say it's done. It was the night, of course, where Christ was betrayed and arrested and tried and ultimately crucified. We'll remember that with the Lord's Supper. It's a very serene evening. It's a contemplative evening. We'll have some desserts out in the lobby on your way out. But we're starting at 6.30 because that's the time we start on Wednesday nights. But it won't be on Wednesday night. It'll be on Thursday night. Nothing on Wednesday. Thursday night, 6.30. And I hope you'll be with us. It's... Um, it seems to me that it's the time where God's, where the, where the family ought to be together remembering this great work of the Savior for us. So, Thursday night, it is. Now, guys, um, <clears throat> I preach through books. You know that, don't you? You know I preach through books. Um, I try to cover it all. You ready to hear this next passage? Are you? Ready? We'll see. Follow now as I read, beginning at um, verse 18 of chapter 15. I will read through verse 4 of chapter 16. It reads like this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. 
But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me and you, will, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you, re- you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God, that word, that endures forever. I mean, who who knew that the New Testament said stuff like this? I mean, who knew that Jesus said stuff like this? I mean, he, he needs a better PR man, somebody that'll give him a Dale Carnegie course so he can know how to win friends and influence people. I mean, how do you like this for a um, recruitment slogan? Come follow me and everybody will hate you. You know, guys, in a lot of ways, the, most, uh, the biggest challenge that I have this morning is not convincing you of the who or of the why, but of the fact. We're going to talk more about the, the who and the why later, but the biggest issue Um, is that you're not real sure that this is even true anymore, at at least around here. I mean, Christians killed? Really? You know, there's a magazine out that you can subscribe to if you like. It's called The Voice of the Martyrs. It comes out every month. Or how about 60 days ago or so when those uh, 23 Coptic Christians were killed in Libya? Yeah, 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 Dr. Young, but that's over there. You know, I'm, I'm more concerned about this, this hate thing that, that, I, that you just read about. I mean, um, you know, I don't agree with that. I, you know, I don't, think, I don't think the non-Christian world hates us Christians. I mean, they might think we're a bunch of baboons, but, but, they, but they don't hate us. I mean, to me, to me this is just a little bit of uh, hyper, hyper, hyperbolic statement on the part of Jesus. It's hyperbole. You know, it's a, um, it's a bit of an overstatement. And we all know, Dr. Young, uh, what, a, what a gifted overstater you are. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't really believe that the non-Christian world hates us. Okay. Okay, for those of you who um, need a bit more convincing um, that this is still applicable to the 21st century West, us, then I have an assignment for you. It's a, it's a small thing. You, it won't, it won't, take you, won't take you 60 seconds. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, write a blog 
or um, a YouTube, or post it on your, your, your Facebook uh, page, or um, tweet it, I, what, however you want to interact with the social media. Choose whatever you like, but I want you to write something and, and, and say this. I believe homosexuality is sin. And post it. Go ahead. Or how about this? Um, abortion is murder. Put it up there on your page. Or um, Islam is a cult. Put it up there. Or how about even this? I believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Go ahead. I dare you. You know, we had a young woman who did something, almost that very thing. Not exactly that, but let me tell you about it. Uh, it was about nine months ago. Um, and uh, you, may re- you may remember the, um, the football player from the University of Missouri. He was the defensive end, Michael Sam. Remember that name? He came out um, as a homosexual. And he wanted to play in the NFL. Nobody drafted him. And uh, he got signed by somebody but didn't make the team. And, and then uh, in June, the, the ESPYs occurred. Now, those of you who don't watch ESPN don't know what the ESPYs are. But the, but the ESPYs are the award show of ESPN. And on that night, uh, Michael Sam, uh, who was not drafted, um, was given the Courageous Award. And this young woman who goes to this church posted on her blog nothing, nothing about, it wasn't aimed at Michael Sam. It wasn't even aimed at homosexuality. It was simply her opinion that to give him the courageous award was inappropriate. And that young woman got a hundred hate emails. An hour. She got a hundred hate emails an hour. (laughs) Go ahead. I dare you. You know, you know, guys, um, if, if the world has nothing to say against you, then beware. Beware lest Jesus Christ will have nothing to say for you. You know, those of you who um, long or so long to be, um, to be popular, the, the, you know, the, the thing for which you are living, let me read you this terrifying statement in James chapter 4. James says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ and his people, they have the same enemies. And for the same reason. And I'm going to tell you about that reason in in a minute. But, you know, guys, we don't even have to try to produce this. Just be loyal to Christ. That's all. Just be loyal to Christ. In fact, you know, the, the, the better you are, the, the more you'll be hated. 
It's, uh, it's not our failures that the world hates. It's our, it's our successes. It's, it's called grace. It's, it's not what we do wrong. It's what we do right. Grace. That grace thing. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, so extreme is this that Jesus is mentioning here in some parts of the world, West Africa, Iraq, Syria, just to mention a couple, that verse 2 of chapter 16 is being played out all over the, all over the planet. They think um, they will put you to death. They, whoever kills you will think they did God a service. So often the hostility, ladies and gentlemen, is done. It, it comes from those who claim to be religious. Blase Pascal said something I thought was so profound. He said, men never do evil so completely and so cheerfully as when they do it with a religious conviction. You know, we certainly see what Jesus is saying here. We see it being played out in the New Testament. We see it in Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 7, Acts 8, Acts 12, Acts 14, and Acts 16. And church history is replete with examples of this very kind of thing. No doubt you've heard of the name of Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, she was called Bloody Mary. And because of her escapades um, came the maxim, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So um, you're still not convinced. Well, I'll say some more as we go. But let's, let's spend the rest of our time, I, I just want to take a look at, um, at some of the things that Jesus says in the text itself. First of all, he, he mentions hate, and he says it six times. The Greek word is missio. He mentions the word hate six times in this little passage. You know, um, hate, it's, it's just a, such an ugly word. I agree with you. I don't like the word either. Um... In, in our home, when the, when the girls were little, we told them that there were some things that they could not say. You know, we were being a good religious parents. You know. We told them that they could not say shut up, and they couldn't say hate. Couldn't say that word. Bad word. And invariably, uh, all three girls, at some point in their, their childhood, they would come to daddy and say, Daddy, is it all right to hate the devil? And I'd say... Well, okay, just maybe for a little. <laughs> but we don't like the word. We don't like the idea. It's a subject. The whole subject is so repugnant to us. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice this about this text. Jesus brings up this subject for the express purpose of comforting his people. He says in Verse 1 of chapter 16, these things I have spoken to you that you, so that you won't stumble. He's brought up this subject, ladies and gentlemen, to, to pastor us. To be hated is such an unpleasant experience that he wanted to make sure that he had prepared us for this very distasteful reality. Gang, that last sentence there of verse 4 where he says, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. That is said as a pastor to, it's said to, a, to people that he loves. He's saying, I didn't have to talk to you like this um, earlier on because I was with you. And so all of the hatred got aimed at me. But guess what, guys? I'm about to leave you. 
And do you know where all the hate is going to be aimed now? He doesn't want his people to have any kind of naive, starry-eyed optimism about what it means to follow Jesus Christ because he knows just how harmful um, false expectations can be. And so he's, um, he's giving them a, an insight to their very near future with a, a heavy dose of reality. In the, it, with the hope that to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And guys, then he mentions several things in the text that I want you to see. But you cannot miss this first. This is a pastor talking to his people. This is a shepherd speaking to his flock. This is a man, this is one who loves his people and wants to prepare them for some of the underbelly of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So he says in the text, let me tell you first of all who it is that is, that, who is really the one being hated. He says it three times. He says it in, <clears throat> pardon me, he says it in verse 18, he says it in verse 24, he says it in verse 25, he says if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And then he adds his father later on in the text, the ones that are really hated are me and my father. You guys, you're just the stand-ins. But then he goes on to explain, actually he doesn't, he, he doesn't allude to it in this text, but he, he explains why. Why does the world hate him? To me, that's the issue. And, and I want you to see it because it, it's not as clear in this passage as it is in an earlier one in John 7. So flip back about eight chapters to John 7 and he very clearly states why it is that he's hated. <clears throat> it's in John 7, as I said. Uh, verse 1 opens up, and these things Jesus walked uh, in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. You see that in verse 1, John 7, 1. They want to kill him. Well, why do you want to kill him? He tells us in verse 7. The world cannot hate you, at least it can't hate you now, because I'm still here. But it hates me... Because I testify of it that its works are evil. There's the why. The reason they hate me is because I tell them that what they're doing is evil. And they don't want to be told that. Guys, about a month and a half ago, uh, February the 15th to be exact, Susie and I were standing in St. Peter's Square in Rome. Um, it is said that St. Peter's Square can hold two million people. I don't know how many were there that day, but where they, they had all gathered to hear a, a sermon by the Pope. The Pope was over in the, at least on my right, uh, from a window, and he was uh, videoed into big screens throughout St. Peter's Square. And I, and I don't know how many people were there. But it was full, I, and I'll just guess, let's just say a million people. And he's uh, preaching away. And I, you know, I have a friend that lives in Europe, and, and um, I, I really respect this guy. He's a whole lot smarter than I am. And, and he and I were talking about this, and he said, did you, know, did you know that in the Vatican that they are right now hiding or housing a, um, 
an indicted pedophile from Boston, Massachusetts, um, one who was a known child abuser, a, a Roman Catholic priest, is being housed in the Vatican so that the USA cannot extradite him back for trial. And so in my mind's eye, I, I thought, okay, here I am, uh, St. Peter's Square, a million people, pre, uh, the Pope, and, 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 I, and I thought about doing this. Well, I thought, well, what if I did this? Uh, folks, folks, can I have your attention for a moment? Could, could, I, could I just speak with you for just a second? Um, did y'all know that, uh, that in the Vatican right now is a uh, known child abuser, a known pedophile, uh, and is being uh, housed there in the Vatican so that the USA, the United States cannot extradite him to stand trial in Boston? Did y'all know that? What do you think they would have said to me? You think they would have said, well now, sir, thank you very much for informing us of that evil that exists among us. You think they said that? Or do you think that I perhaps would have had to run from my life? Guys, what Jesus is saying in John 7 is that the reason that I'm hated is because my very presence shines a light on some pretty dark, ugly places in people and they don't want to have that exposure or they don't want to be exposed and thus they hate me. You see, guys, all of us, all of us like to think of ourselves as being basically good people or at least more than that, we want you to think that I'm basically a good person. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I've got a flag. But basically, I'm a good person. And then Jesus shows up and says, no, you're not. There's none good but God. And then later on, Paul says, there's, there's none good, no, not one. And Jesus says, could I, you want me to show you that you're not good? And in the, in the process of so doing, show everybody else. And that's why they hate him. I don't like being told that I am born in iniquity and I was conceived in sin. You see, I've got a, I've got a fairly decent conception of myself. And I don't like to be told that I'm, a, I'm radically depraved. I mean, that's depressing, and not only that, it's insulting. I, um, I, I want to hear a, a softer message, one that will help me um, salvage my own self-esteem. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the self-righteous have a vested interest in hearing a very soft, plain, vanilla message. If you don't expose any sin, they won't hate you. Because that's why they, that's why they hated Jesus. Hey, do you know the story? It's contained in John 8. You know that one? I, I bet you do. Um, it's about the woman caught in adultery. Remember her? 
And in verse four, John eight, four says she was caught in the very act. And I've always wondered, well, if they were, if she was caught in the very act, how did the guy get away? I mean, why didn't they drag him out and, and, you know, humiliate him too? But they didn't do that. He got off. But anyway, um, uh, there they are, this confirmed adulteress out in the middle of them. They're all standing around her, this religious elite. And, and, um, and don't you just like to feel superior when you can stand around somebody who's, you know, that poor slob who's just blown it, been caught in some ugly sin and pictures in the paper. And, and you can smugly kind of, you know, fold your arms and say, <laughs> boy, that's awful. And I sure am glad that I'm not like that. By the way, you do know that's what gossip is, don't you? It's just a subtle form of self-exaltation. If I can lower you in relationship to me, I can feel better about myself. But back to the story in John 8. There they are ringing this woman who's been caught in adultery. And as you recall, um, Jesus stoops down twice and writes something in the dirt um, with his finger. What does he write? I don't know. I wish I did, but the text doesn't tell us. But whatever it was that he wrote, all of those smug, self-righteous accusers that were standing around her, around her, kind of, they kind of skulked away out into the night. You want to know why? They were exposed. See, what they had done is take the spotlight and shine it on her, and he took it and shine it on them. And they didn't like that. And they hated him for it and wanted to kill him. But he's not here anymore. You know, I, I want to believe a myth about myself that I'm really better than you. And Jesus Christ won't let me. So, oh, might he be damned and anybody else who dares to expose my sin. Hmm. Now, who might that be now that Jesus is gone? Oh, that would be us. That's where we enter, ladies and gentlemen. We're just... We're just the stand-ins. So why did they hate Jesus? Why did they hate me when I am so personally lovable? Why did they hate Jesus? Because he exposed their sin. And I belong to him. So many of you do too. You know, there's this quote that I've used before, but I love it, and I, and I wish you'd read it uh, one of these days. It's John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and a Christian is on his way to the Eternal City, as you may recall, and, and he meets up with Apollyon, and Apollyon is Bunyan's figure for the devil, and they engage in this, this massive struggle, and in the midst of the struggle, Apollyon, the figure for the devil, says to Christian, he says this, I hate your prince, I hate his word. And I hate his people. 
I hate his people because they belong to that prince. The world shrugs their shoulders and says, oh, those Christians, they, they, they're just so much, so holier than thou. Well, guess what? We are. We're not better than thou, but we are holier than thou. <clears throat> and we're holier than thou because we belong to the one who is infinitely holy. And just our existence exposes sin. You know, the Dutch have a saying, and I, I wish I could say it in Dutch, but I can't, and I can't even really say it in English, but I can tell you what it means. Um, but it's, it's in a room of people, it's a room of people, and all of a sudden the room falls silent. And everybody's, Arr! and then all of a sudden it falls silent. Well, they have, a, they have a saying for that. They call it, the preacher just entered the room. And what do you want to, nobody wants to be exposed. You know, one of the reasons that I so love the gospel of grace is that I don't have to fear you knowing me anymore. Everything about me. The world doesn't understand us. We anger them. They, uh, they think we're a bunch of deserters. We arouse their antagonism. And I know, ladies and gentlemen, that all of this sets your teeth on edge. I, 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 too, take no delight in rejection. I'm just as insecure as anybody in the room, and, and I want people to love me, too. And then I hear my Savior say something like this. Beware. Beware when the whole world speaks well of you. You know, ladies and gentlemen, some of you live for that stated goal. And Jesus says, beware when the whole world speaks well of you. If, if the world doesn't hate me somehow, it's because I'm deficient there, there are many unregenerate religionists that the world applauds. They love them. And I guess if we act like a kept woman and kept our mouths shut, the world might laugh at us, but it wouldn't hate us. But once I, um, once I stand for the things that my Savior stands for, And I make that known. Oh, I'm going to get a whole lot more than 108, 100 hate emails an hour. What a message. What a, what a, what a message that I just, what, what, a, what a message. I mean, why would anyone want to be a Christian? You know, there's, only, there's really only one reason. When you read that kind of stuff and you hear what I just said, there's really only one reason that anyone would want to be a Christian. And it's because it's true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true. 
You remember the story, um, it's in John chapter 6. John 6 is a long chapter. Uh, it's like 70 verses in there. And uh, it starts off pretty good. Jesus feeds the 4,000, I think. And then it moves to that section where he's talking about, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people go, that's kind of odd. And then he moves over into the, 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 verse 44 and he says, no man can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I don't like that either. And we come over to verse 60. By the way, he says that again in verse 65. And then in verse 66, it says, and, and many of his followers withdrew and were following him no more. I've had enough of this. <laughs> now I understand what you're saying. Okay, I got it. I'm gone. I want nothing to do with you. Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, um, you guys want to leave too? And then Peter says, Where will we go? Only you have words of life. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if I wanted to leave, where would I go? Where would we go? Where would you go? Uh, we can go to Islam. That's absolutely hideous. We can try Buddhism. That's weird. How about Hinduism? That's downright irrational. Well, let's try atheism, and that's unthinkable. Where are you going to go after hearing hard things like these? Do you want to leave? Where are you going to go? Only Jesus has words of life, ladies and gentlemen. And so many of us in this room believe that. And if you don't, you're going to have to figure out where you're going to go. Where you're going to go to get your words of life, huh? Where are you going to go? You going to try the Democrats? Maybe the Republicans. Neither one of them. Where are you going to go, my friend? Because I'm here to tell you, even in the face of hard truths, only Jesus, only Jesus has words of life. And I believe them. And so do so many of you. Those of you who don't, I want to invite you to the beauty of, I want to invite you to this Savior that we have found to be altogether lovely. Even knowing that he said that. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind your people that this is not a party that we've entered. We don't get to um, have one big old grand time and then enter heaven. But because this world has fallen and because sin has entered and because Satan wants to devour, there is all kinds of struggle that we'll face. And even to the point of being hated. And I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, I thank you for preparing us with a, with a dose of reality so that we wouldn't be those starry-eyed, naive simpletons. And Lord, would you help us to represent you rightly, even, even in the face of that kind of hate email. Lord, if you brought people here today who have not yet met our Savior, 
Uh, they're perhaps reeling from hearing about that. That's the last thing that they want in their lives. But would you open their eyes to see the one who is altogether lovely, Christ Jesus? Draw them. Draw them in spite of all the offense. Draw them to this one who is the only one who can offer us words of life. Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.